1: hello 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 and welcome this is talk the plank episode 92 of pittsburgh pirates podcast on bucks dugout my name is nathan hirsch and i'm with jake slobodnik and we have a guest as well jake would you like to introduce our guest here absolutely
2: nate so it's been a while since we've had him on the podcast 35 episodes ago he appeared and almost a calendar year ago but we're proud we're uh, proud to bring him back on for this episode to talk a little pirates off season action. It's Pete Ryder for MLB.com for the Pirates. Justice de Los Santos. Justice, thanks so much for joining us again. I feel like it's been forever, but so glad that
0: you're able to make some time for us here tonight and talk the plank. Appreciate y'all for having me. And it's been so long that the the picture that I have is no longer accurate. If you've seen my beat reports recently, if you've seen like any of the videos that I've done recently, like I've been in hibernation and it shows, like I'm gonna have to update this photo at some point because I'm not clean shaven anymore. <laughs> that's how long it's been. See
1: that's funny, justice because I remember when we spoke, um, me and Jake, we were on zoom in our cold, nestled you know respective homes, and you were enjoying a nice coffee in the beautiful Florida sunshine during spring training uh, i don't I don't believe you you had not moved to Pittsburgh yet, but one full year, almost one full winter.
0: How's it been? Well, first off, going going back to when I recorded that, I remember what that morning was like. It was, it, it may have been enjoyable for me a little bit, but my my laptop was not having fun. That was the spring training when my hotel did not have Wi-Fi, so <laughs> that was that was a bit of a, an adventure. But um, yeah, it's approaching. You know, by the time spring training rolled around last year, like spring training after the lockout, I, I was able to be in Pittsburgh for a little bit. I remember the way that things kind of shaped out is I locked down my apartment. I think it was like a Wednesday, Wednesday morning and then like Wednesday night. That's when the lockout ended and I had to get down to Bradenton. But honestly, before, get, before getting into that, what this year has been like, I'm going to pose both of y'all a question real quick. All right. How many times before moving here do y'all think I've experienced snowfall? Like not seen snow but seeing snow fall from the sky before 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 say, February fourteenth, twenty twenty two, when I started driving across the country, how many times y'all think I saw snow fall from, from the sky?
2: Um, I'm gonna say a big fat goose egg. Never.
0: Yeah, it sounds like a zero to me. It's so a zero straight up, and it snowed like what the past two <laughs> days in a row, something like that. <laughs> so I, I, it's it's not as like the dramatic. Difference I thought it would be, but it's it's definitely still different. It's one of those things I've had to learn because let's be honest, California doesn't really have season. Well, we have one, we have two seasons, non wildfire season and non wildfire season. Those are the only two real seasons we got out there, but yeah, we're coming up on a, a full year, something like that. It's actually kind of full circle in that um, I leave for spring training on the 14th and last year, that's when I the 14th was when I started you know this whole journey that's when I drove across the country by myself lied to my family that I was going with my best friend um, lied to them every step of the way that I was with him <laughs> every time they asked for photos and like show us a photo of Danny my best friend's name's Daniel and I was like yeah he's not in frame yada 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 and then I got to Pittsburgh and my mom was like you gonna tell us you're lying now um, <laughs> but yeah now that it's soon not to, to not be the off season anymore but you know over the last couple months you know basically split my time between being back in the bay and being here and during the time that I've been here I've tried to make a concerted effort to familiarize myself with the area to just explore the area just not have a particular destination in mind just walk around um yesterday in particular uh it wasn't Pittsburgh but me and um former Pittsburgh Pirates beat reporter um Jake Krause you may know him around these parts um we went to Morgantown West Virginia just for the hell of it I'd never been we neither of us ever been went for the hell of it walked around took pictures of abandoned places got stared at probably um things of that nature and and I was still trying to explore still trying to get my feet wet in the area still you know, just trying to completely familiarize myself. A lot of it is still foreign. I've still yet to have a pierogi. I know, like as someone that talks all this mess about sauerkraut, saw, still haven't had one. I got, I got to knock that off the bucket list at some point. But it's, I don't think, I don't think it's, it's weird to call it home. It's just, it just feels weird like coming out the mouth. But the longer I'm here, and especially as I kind of meet people and you know fancy more establishments and things of that nature the more it's it does feel less foreign and feels like home in a sense
2: well that's good to hear and you know i know you just mentioned a couple seconds ago that you really haven't explored pittsburgh too much seen all there is to see haven't eaten a progre which man that that beats my or heart but um i'm holding you to it this summer i feel like you're gonna try one don't make it happen but um um what have you like in in your explorations of pittsburgh or maybe even in the surrounding areas is there like a certain i guess attraction that really catches your eye that really caught your eye first glance because you are a cultural person like you i I look at your twitter and there's a lot of different things it's not just baseball related you try to take in the atmosphere around you so is there anything any sort of favorites i guess cultural point that you know you hold close to you oh that's
0: a great question in terms of just the surrounding area it's actually funny um around the time that i moved to pittsburgh last year and, and i remember my first couple of days here i was looking for kind of my go-to coffee shop and i think it was jake who gave me the recommendation uh, jake kraus that is he gave me the recommendation for commonplace by the mexican war street so i go over there and as soon as i walk in i look i look up and i see that there's this uh i think it's a poem by walt whitman And it was crazy because at that time, me and one of my older sisters, Rizal, we were reading a lot about, you know, the there's this book, it's called like The Wander Society. And it talks about, you know, the benefits of wandering and like famous wanderers throughout history. And they cited Walt Whitman a lot in that book, like so much so that he was kind of like, in a sense, the main protagonist of that book. And the second I looked up and saw that, I was like, okay, this is going to be my spot right here. And actually, a couple of days ago, like you know, I've been to, I've been a commonplace a lot, but there's a couple of days when I just feel like walking around, and I'll walk around that area and just you know, there's certain things that catch my eye. The architecture of Pittsburgh is a lot different than you know where I'm from, specifically in the base, a lot different from Oakland, and it's a lot different from Cal, uh, from San Francisco. And you know, it's not necessarily one thing in particular that really stands out to me. It's just trying to take in the entirety of it. Um, the, the model I try to have, or kind of the, the frame of mind that I try to have when it comes to being in new places is you take them as they are, not what you want them to be compared to another place. And, you know, if I came here and I wanted this place to be like the Bay and I was like, ah, oh, where's, where's the Filipino food? Where's, where's all this, where's this down the third? Like I would not appreciate it. And I wouldn't have a good time here, but I think my biggest thing is, you know, taking the, taking the city as it is not trying to conform it to, you know, any ideals of it's like this city, it's like that city and just, you know, trying to absorb it and, tr- you know, just trying to find those little intricacies about the city and, um, you know, the things that catch my attention. I know this is a little kind of vague, but um, I'm still very much in that process. Like I, I have, you know, found a couple places that I just, I really enjoy going to, but I'm hoping that, you know, as the seat, c- as the year goes on, as we get a little nicer, weather, when I'm not, you know, walking around when it's, 30 degrees outside, 20 degrees outside. I'm hoping I can find more of those places and you know really expand the Rolodex of things that I know in the city and, and places that I can kind of consider those go-tos. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. I guess my question about the city is simply
0: put, have you enjoyed your time here so far? I've enjoyed it. I, I've enjoyed it. Um, I will say though, I can't be a Californian and be better than some of the drivers out here when it comes to the snow in particular. Like, I don't know how y'all feel about this, but these past two days, I'm seeing some, like, I will admit the California in me does come out a lot when I'm driving. Like, you know, sometimes that speed limit is a little bit of a, more of a suggestion, a loose suggestion than it is. But, you know, I'll see some of the way that native drivers around here, I'm like, man, like y'all, y'all acting like y'all have never been seen snow before. I've seen it five times and I'm driving like more, more with more uh, confidence in y'all. Uh, you
2: talk about the drivers and I'll keep this brief. For the radio station I work for out here in Indiana County, which is about an hour away from Pittsburgh, yesterday it snowed in the early morning, like barely anything on the ground, and we had four wrecks reported within two hours. Like, thankfully they weren't fatal, but yeah, I, I share your pain on that because people just forget how to drive when a flake of snow.
0: I remember yesterday yes. I was, I think I was heading into downtown, and I was merging onto, I'd already merged onto the freeway. It's one of those. It's not a merge that goes from three lanes into two. It's one of those mergers that go, it starts at three lanes and it keeps going to three lanes. And the car in the far right lane was going, I'm not even joking. It was going like 30 miles an hour. And I'm like, dude, what are we doing here? <laughs> like I look, I looked to make sure I was like, is that a Pennsylvania license plate? That is a Pennsylvania license plate. Like you acting like you've never traversed this before. I'm over here like with my California license plate, stole my car, like driving, smooth little 65 kind of just cruising like i've been here before like i've been there so you pretty much said like
1: take pittsburgh as it is don't try to expect much like transitioning that into the pirates i don't believe you you didn't really follow the pirates super co- closely before this job correct not super closely in the
0: way that i would you know follow the giants and the a's just because the giants and the a's were the teams you know that i would see on a daily basis. Um, not on a daily basis, but I would just be around. So not, definitely not to the extent that my other part of the beat have, but, you know, over the course of this year and, you know, hearing some of their stories from the past couple of years, you kind of get a, you try to get a sense as much as you can. Obviously I can't like, you know, spend all my time reading every single piece that's been written before 2022, right. but, you know, you try to look at past rosters, you try to, you know, you talk to, Talk to some of my partners, Alex, Jason, Kevin, Robin. just get a sense of, you know, how things have kind of shaken out over the past couple of years. And I'm thankful for them because they make my job so much easier and that they, you know, they just provided me with so much kind of background. Like I'll just ask a question about, you know, some prospect or some random event they might be referring to and then they're always willing to share.
1: Yeah, I guess my question to you, to you is kind of like as an unbiased party, your first year in, what is your impression of the Pirates and how they kind of run things compared to what, you know, maybe you would have thought before being on the beat?
0: I think I am still, in terms of how kind of things are running, it's, I think I'm still kind of in that process of, it is a filling out process because it's, you know, only one year in and, You know, especially when it comes to a rebuilding team, you know, you kind of, you don't want to take everything at face value, so to say. And this team isn't necessarily in that point in that rebuild when it's, you know, time to talk about, you know, the wins and the losses, like having substance in the way they would in maybe 13, 14, or 15. But this past offseason in particular, I've definitely come away with it, you know relatively on the positive side, um, turn that down relatively on the positive side, it, it seemed like there was a clear blueprint as to what the front office needed to do in order to help this team kind of get from point a to point b or point b to point C depending on how you perceive that and uh, where they are in their rebuild. and you know you look at this roster that's full of young guys, and you know as much as we can talk about the future, as much as we can talk about the next wave of talent, it still does come down to needing not only one adults in the room, but a couple adults in the room to kind of help things along, so to say. And, you know, they've certainly done that, you know, Rich Hill, G-Man Choi, uh, Carlos Santana, Austin Hedges, and, you know, over the past week, um, a guy that's, I learned last week, he's, there's, there's this guy that's actually pretty, uh, he's pretty notable. So I, can, I think his name's McCutcheon, something like
2: that. <laughs> yeah. And, and that, I guess this quarter, it kind of goes on to my next question, Justice, and that is, what you know? You talk about the blueprint of the Pirates this year. They bring in all these veterans, uh, and some raise some eyebrows. Some make the fans really optimistic, like Cutch. But then you look at the ones like Rich Hill and Carlos Santana. People will look at them and say, "Well, I mean, they're getting up there in age. What could they bring?" So, can you just, from the inner mullings of the Pirates and what you're just hearing, why the why is
0: this group of players? I think speaking to as a whole, cause I think if we go individually, we might just be here for an hour, but you know, as a whole, if you look at kind of when you consider like what the group of talent or who the group of talent is, that's going to be part of that next winning team. That's on the 40 man roster right now. Or even if you want to go to the opening day roster, that's guys like O'Neal Cruz, Rodolfo Castro, Brian Hayes, Brian Reynolds. I, I'm not going to open that can of worms. Let's just, let's leave it that. Let's leave that one as is. And then you go on the pitching side, Mitch Keller, Rowan Contreras. And then you look down on the farm system and you look at the guys that might be up in 2023, Henry Davis, Andy Rodriguez, Quinn Priester, Quinn Priester, Mike Burrows, and you go on and on down that list. And, you know, it is great to have, you know, just this bundle of young talent kind of at the major league roster at the same time. But in that same vein, or in that same trying to, trying to train a thought, you are going to need those guys who have been around the block that, you know, we're not getting, in terms of, you know, some of the guys that you have mentioned, you know, this isn't Carlos Santana of maybe five years ago when he was an all-star. This isn't Rich Hill of five, of maybe five, 10 years ago. But, you know, while those guys may kind of be in the twilights of their career, so to say, These are guys who have, there's not much that they have not experienced on a major league diamond. There isn't much that Rich Hill has not seen over his, I think it's 18 different, 18 or 19 major league seasons. There's not much that Carlos Santana has not seen over his decade plus in the majors. There's not much that Austin hedges, maybe as those two, but there's not much that he hasn't seen. There's not much that G man Choi hasn't seen Santana and Choi in particular are guys that have been, to world series that have been on winning teams that know what it takes to win at the major league level. And the same thing applies to Kutch. There's not a lot that Kutch has not seen or has not experienced. And so, you know, there might be, you know, you can kind of debate, you know, is Santana going to necessarily be like the long-term fit? No. Is Choi necessarily going to be that long-term fit? Not necessarily. But in terms of the young guys that they have on the roster right now, having those guys in the clubhouse that can teach them how to be not, not either teach them how to be a professional or help elevate them to get to that next level and have an understanding of what it means to have staying power in this league. I remember going back to, um, conversation we had with JC Brubaker in the winter. It was Brubaker and Chase Young. I think it might've been Chase DeYoung actually. And he had made the point of Carlos Santana in particular, that when Santana walks in that clubhouse, Everybody in that clubhouse is going to have to respect what he's done because you don't accidentally stumble into a decade's worth of experience at the major league level. So if we're looking at it in terms of just the players and solely their ability, those aren't necessarily guys that are going to elevate this, the Pirates from being maybe a projected, I haven't looked at projections in you know, all honesty, but maybe that you know 75 win range to the 85-90 win range. But those are going to be the guys that help the current, the current core and the core that's coming up instill in them what it is to have to take in order to be that consistent winner. And that's how I kind of take these, you know, to zero in, let's zero in on Austin Hedges in particular. Last year, Austin Hedges was the catcher for the youngest pitching staff in all of baseball, that being the Guardian. I believe their average age was like 28, 20, whatever it was in particular. They were the youngest in baseball. And to have him sort of be able to not only catch the up that the pirates are going to have for the first couple months of the season, but also have him as one of a mentor for Henry and Andy to be able to pick their brains. That's huge. And there aren't a lot of catchers in major league baseball that are, are going to be able to provide that type of knowledge, that type of mentorship. So that's the way that I approach, you know, some of the veterans that they've signed this off season, you know, And this isn't to say that they're going to be complete. They're all complete net negatives. They are going to provide something in terms of their actual production. But when you look at it in terms of them kind of being these adults in the room, being able to help this next generation of guys, I think that's a way that you can kind of reframe that and, you know, look at these guys as, you know, just teachers, so to say.
2: Yeah. And that makes sense because I look at this free agent class that Ben Charrington has brought in and... You know what it kind of strikes me, and I don't know, maybe Nate feels the same way, or maybe some of the other Pirates fans do. You talk about Austin Hedges, and I feel like we don't realize what he did last year with the very young pitching staff. And you know, I, I feel like a lot of people going into the offseason was, oh, we're gonna see a reunion with Roberto Perez because he developed that relationship with the Pirates pitching staff last year. He built a connection with the city, and we didn't see that. So it, it does show that Ben Charrington sort of goes, you know, he's he wants to go in a direction where you know he wants to improve. He's not putting feelings over quality talent. So, can and that's one thing maybe like you can maybe dive upon is why did Charrington not go with Perez, considering you know how happy he was here, and why did he go with Austin Hedges, who
0: nobody really had on their radar? I think one of the the biggest things that you know that differentiates Austin Hedges versus Roberto Perez, and this isn't something that Charrington has said publicly. This is kind of just you know, looking at the situation from a a bird's eye view is as much as Roberto Perez was loved in that clubhouse and, you know, JT Brubaker this off season, you know, before Hedges was signed, did go on the record and say, you know, I'd be lying if I'd say I didn't want Perez uh, back in this clubhouse. I think one of the big differentiating, you know, factors in that is Perez has been really banged up over the last couple of years, going back to 2020. And, you know, it is that question of if, you know, they were to hypothetically re-sign Roberto Perez, would he be able to, would his body maintain over even, not necessarily even a full season. Like even if you envision a scenario where Henry Davis and Andy Rodriguez are in the mix at some point during the summer, it's, you know, it is that question of, you know, would he be able um, to maintain? And, you know, thinking of, as I'm, you know, pondering this question, I'm wondering has Perez hasn't signed a contract. Has he this off season? I'm going to, I don't think he has. He has not. And I think that it it was an interesting free agent class catcher wise in terms of, you know, I I think that the pirates were looking for, you know, that hedges type where it wasn't going to be some guy that you were going to have to, you know, he is going to, you know, hedges is going to play every day to begin the season, but not necessarily someone that's going to be a roadblock if and when Henry and Andy come up to the major league level. And so you know, as I was come as the Pirates were coming into this off season, you know, if we were trying to predict what an ideal catcher would have looked like, you would think someone that has experience, you would think someone that can teach Andy and Henry, and you would think someone that's not going to be a roadblock to either of them once they come up. And Hedges is kind of someone that was able to fill all those boxes, and someone that's been more durable than Perez especially when you look at what the last three years have been like for Perez, who, you know, he was great in the 21 game. I believe it was 21 games that he was a pirate last season and he was a great influence even after he was injured. Uh, but at the same time, you can find someone that has those qualities, those positive clubhouse qualities while being able to still hold up over the course of a major season. I think that's one of the things that contributed to hedges over Perez.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. And I feel like too, like you mentioned when Henry Davis and Andy Rodriguez eventually make their debuts hedges, I think would be a perfect third catcher on this roster because I think he's the perfect backup that goes without saying. And it's funny. He's still an upgrade over the catching that the pirates had last season, which kind of says more about the pirates than anything post Roberto Perez. But yeah, I agree. Great for the pitching great for the young catching and with the ability of Davis and Rodriguez when they come up to both catch and maybe play a few other positions. I think having hedges there as well as a third catcher would be uh perfect. All right, moving on to Andrew McCutcheon. So you got to see firsthand here, kind of what McCutcheon means to the city of Pittsburgh in him coming back. Um, did you kind of realize that fully Um, when he first signed, or was it kind of like an eye-opening moment to see, you know, how elated the city of Pittsburgh was when McCutcheon re-signed? Yeah,
0: with the Pirates. I got a gist of the relationship that well before McCutcheon signed, well before this. You know, going back to when I got on the beat, like I got the idea of how respected cutches in the city, how beloved he is in the city when the brewers would come to town. I think the very, you know, from the very first game that he put on a a brewers uniform and came back to PNC every single time he came up to the plate, he was generating a round of applause. He got a Homer against the pirates and was getting like a round of applause for that. And, you know, I had already had an idea of what he meant, but seeing that, you know, just validated every thought that I had regarding, you know, his relationship to the city of Pittsburgh. And I think it was a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if it was before or after the new year, but I think it was, there was some Twitter account that, you know, tweeted the video of McCutcheon in the Pirates uniform, the old highlights, and was like, this is the reunion that needs to happen. And Kutch liked it, And I just remember seeing, like, everybody start, like, I don't think freaking out is the right term, but instantly, like, everyone was just like, this needs to happen. Everyone was instantly on board. And, you know, it was almost like a little bit of an earthquake in a sense. It's like, you know, he just liked the tweet, you know, nothing more, nothing less. And everybody got all riled up and was like, yeah, this is what we need to happen. And then being in the, the press conference room at PNC Park last Friday and seeing you know just kind of hearing like all the all the i know they're pirates employees and you know it'd be weird if you know he just walked in the room and they didn't you know clap in some capacity but you know just being in that room you you were able i was able to get the sense of you know just it it was another kind of lesson so to say in terms of what he has meant to the city and you know I, i did go down the kind of the rabbit hole of his his best highlights as a pirate i saw the I don't know if people actually called it the greatest game, but it was that game against the Cardinals. I think it was, they were trailing five to four He hits the three run homer. And, you know, you know, in watching just him kind of grow as a person, as a player through those highlights, you see what he meant to the city. And, you know, I got a taste of that back in San Francisco with Buster Posey. Um, He obviously didn't have the alternate teams over the course of his career. He was, you know, the one team and that was it. And, You know, there are very few times when you see a player with that tight of a relationship to the team, to the city, and that was made very apparent to me very early on. just the relationship Kutch has with the city.
2: Talk about Kutch's impact with the city and how everybody responds to him, but one thing that that caught me a little, not so much off guard, but I think kind of surprised me to hear about in his press conference was his kudos to O'Neal Cruz, because it's not every day you see a veteran like Kutch who, you know, the days about him, and I know he's a very selfless player, but, you know, when, when it comes to something like that, and for him to come out of his own shoes and say, O'Neal Cruz is a freak, and he said it in a very comedic way, which it's just like Kutch to say something in a very comedic way. But all the credit that he gave to him, I, as, a, as a beat writer, or somebody who's in that, in that room at the same time, what was your reaction when you heard Kutch give that to Cruz? I mean, you've clearly seen him all season long and what he can do, but it takes something else to have somebody like Kutch, who means so much
0: to the city of Pittsburgh, to give such high praise to O'Neal. I will provide a little context into the cruise. He was asked specifically about O'Neal. Like it, it wasn't like he just unprompted was like, Oh yeah, by the way, I'm so excited to play with this guy right here. Um, but that, you know, there have been a couple guys over the course of the year, you know, not just Kutch that have been asked about O'Neal. And, you know, guys that have seen a lot of baseball in their career, both players and managers, and it, it feels like it's nothing shy of like an outpouring of, you know, amazement, astonishment as, as what Cruz has been able to do. And I remember, I think part of Kutch's quote when he started talking about him was, you know, us as baseball players, like we see a lot. And so it, it takes a lot for there to be a player that makes us go, oh, wow and that's different. And he also pointed out that Cruz hit a lot of homers against the Brewers. I pulled it up. He hit six of his what, 18, 17 homers against the Brewers. So Kutch saw a lot of that up close and personal uh, over the course of the last year. And yeah, it, he actually made the, when he said he was a freak, he said like, like right after that, he was like, he was a freak in the same way. Giannis is a And you know, I, he wasn't comparing the two necessarily, but you know, it definitely is in that same mold. It's like, and you don't need me to like wax politics about O'Neill Cruz. Like, we, I'm sure y'all did that over the course of the season. It's, you know, what he's able to do, how he's able to hit the ball, how he's able to throw, is he's able to run. You know, you don't need me to tell you that, but Kutch was, you know, he, he said his piece on that. And so, you know, high praise from a guy like Kutch.
1: Yeah, that, that is funny. He did own the Brewers last season and a few of his monster home runs came at Milwaukee's expense. I guess moving on from O'Neill Cruz and into the 2023 season, is there any player kind of maybe under the radar, not really being talked about much that has really kind of, you know, maybe not caught your eye, but you're you're excited to see what they're bringing to the 2023 season.
0: I think I was actually just talking to, Jake about again Krauss, <laughs> I feel like I always have to make that determination. Um, I am very curious um among the returning guys, uh, I know we talked a lot about o'Neil cruz, and i'm very you know I'm curious as to what he can do over the course of a full season and what that final stat line might look like. But the guy that I'm very curious going forward is Rodolfo and, and just I, I pulled up his numbers here, the eleven homers in the seventy one games a four twenty seven slugging percentage primarily as a second baseman, those, you know, you know, the defense, there is, you know, defense is a work in progress in particular. That's one of the aspects of his game that I'm going to be looking towards, but you know, I don't have a calculator in my head right now, but 11 and 71, that's well over a Homer a 20 Homer pace over the course of an entire 162 game season. Like what in the, somewhere in the 25 range. Uh, I, I know that he, if I'm remembering things right, he did kind of catch fire a little bit, after coming back for one of his stints, so I don't want to fully you know do the yeah if he hit eleven and seventy one last year then he's going to hit twenty five and one fifty next year I don't want to completely do that, but you kind of see some of the things that you know Rodolfo is able to do when he's really clicking on all cylinders on both the offensive and the defensive side of the game, and you think that you know for all we talk about Cruz and Hayes and Reynolds on the position player side and even Henry and Andy. You know, it almost feels like it's like, hey, there's a there's a guy right there that, you know, he's he's you know, providing a trait that like not all second basemen have. So that's a guy that I'm very curious about um going forward. And to shift to the I'll provide one on, on the pitching side as well. Um on the bullpen side, actually, I'm very curious as to how Colin Holderman is going to be last year. He kind of projects as one of their late inning guys and for those who may not know uh, he revealed at the end of last season uh, that he had been dealing with I can't remember what body part it was but he had been dealing with something before he was traded from the Mets to the Pirates and that all crescendoed in that really bad outing against Atlanta the same day that O'Neal had that he broke stat cast where I don't think Holderman recorded an out or if he did, it was it was just a really bad outing and it was his last outing of the year. So I'm very curious as to how he looks, you know, having had that full off season to be healthy and how he bounces back in 2023 with a clean bill of health. And I'll have to dig up the Chase Young quote, but Chase DeYoung was very complimentary of Holderman. I can't remember the words he used in particular, but it was something to the effect of like he's nasty, he's filthy things of that nature so those are two guys at the major league level where i'm kind of looking at them and saying okay like let's see let's see what this looks like next year
2: staying on the topic of guys who um are coming back this year i have two in particular that i want to ask you about justice and that uh really comes down to have you had any discussion or heard anything through the grapevine about mitch keller and jt brubaker and what are your expectations for them
0: uh in terms of brubaker we had had the opportunity to talk to him in the winter um, before, I think it was in December. Actually, I'm, I'm trying to remember the contents of that conversation. Um, but I think with Keller and Baker in particular, I think it's more like, as I'm looking at them in particular, it's kind of an extension of, and, and this is kind of, you apply this to every player, but it's that question of, are they able to consistently do more of what they did well last year? And are they able to minimize what they didn't do as as well last year? And I think one of the, to go to Brubaker in particular, I think it kind of gets almost overshadowed not overshadowed, but it's almost like under the radar that he struck out more than nine batters per nine innings last year while pitching a healthy amount of innings. I think it was somewhere in the one, I think he may have actually led the team in innings. If, if I remember correctly and, it's funny as we, right before we hopped on this podcast, I, I was seeing the some highlights of Mitch Keller kind of not necessarily go viral in the same way that he went viral last offseason, but it was you know it was more kind of hype around him and you know the work that he's doing with trade Athletics, and I'm sure we'll be able to talk with Keller at, at some point uh, in the future. But you know, looking towards them last year, I think that to zero in on Keller you know, the one thing that was constantly talked about last year was a lot of the mental resilience that he showed in very tough situations. I go back to the outing that he had against the Mets. I want to say it was bases loaded. He was going up against Luis Guillorme. There was two outs. Shelton comes out and you're thinking, okay, he's about to take Keller out of this game because Shelton doesn't do the, you know, managerial mountain visit that often. As the story kind of goes, Keller tells Shelton what he's going to do, how he's going to attack Guillaume. Shelton's like, okay, keeps him in. Keller gets out of that outing and that, and is able to minimize the damage. I can't remember what his final line was, but it was a lot of moments like that last year where Keller admitted that in the past, he may have kind of folded. And there's a very clear line in the sand with Keller, which is the before the sinker and after the sinker and before he was in the bullpen and after the bullpen. And so next year, it's that question of is he going to be able to do that over the course of a full season opposed to needing kind of that month and a half uh, to really figure things out. So when it comes to both of them, you know, it, it just to kind of wrap that, this up, it's, you know, that question of are they able to continue what they were able to do well last year and able to minimize what they were not able to do well last year, which you know, very very kind of vague answer, but that's where I kind of stand on both of them.
1: Yeah, that's fair. And uh, Justice, this will be my last question for you. I think it's I think it's crazy how at the beginning of 2022, Andy Rodriguez, you know, really shot up through the minor league system. He was awesome. He shot up prospects boards. But on the pitching side, Luis Ortiz kind of had the same ride, at least on prospect lists. I don't think he was as, quite as dominant on the field, but we saw him for, I believe, only 18 innings in twenty twenty three or 2022 at the Major League level. Um, I just want to get your gauge on kind of what you see in Luis Ortiz and maybe some ex- expectations for the 2023 season because personally – I mean, just watching him pitch the very little that I did, he's obviously nasty, but I don't know just how high his ceiling is because he was kind of an unknown last season, and now you look at it, he's on many top 100 prospects list. Yeah, his ascent
0: was, it's something to marvel at. It was the beginning of 2021. He, If I remember right, he was in Bradenton, and <laughs> at the end of 2022, He's making his major league debut. And not only that, but I think the outing that was uh, of all the outing of the few outings rather that he had um, at the major league level last year, the one that you know kind of sticks with me, even though <laughs> I wasn't able to see it in person, was the outing that he had um, at Yankee Stadium. And considering the circumstances of everything, like this was when Judge was chasing history. And I want to say it was Luis Ortiz's second outing, and that's not an easy. I don't. I don't care how experienced you are in this game. That is not an easy, you know, environment to navigate. And I think over five and a third innings, he allowed maybe one run. To have, he was able to, you know, accumulate the strikeouts. So that that's an outing where I kind of look at that. And it's like that's that's something that's a little. It, it takes something to be able to walk into that environment and to be able to have that type of outing. Uh, that being said, the biggest thing for me going forward with Ortiz, and, and I would like to be able to watch a little more film on him you know, in person, whether that be at the Majors or Indian. I think he's going to start the season with AAA, just kind of given the way that the rotation is shaking out. I don't know if they'd necessarily want him to be a bullpen arm out the gates in 2023. Uh, but I think one of the things that's going to be, in value, it's going to be so important to his development going forward. Is the establishment of a third and maybe even a fourth pitch? Um, I pulled up his Savant page. Fifty-seven. Uh, more than half of his pitches were fastballs. Thirty-seven percent were sliders, and only five percent of his pitches were changeups. And so he used the changeup very sparingly. And you know, in the the first couple outings that he had, that didn't, that wasn't really to his detriment. But I think it was that last outing he had against the Cardinals, where you know things weren't necessarily going his way, and he didn't really have that pitch type of pitch that he can go to. And we've seen Keller and Brubaker talk about this, where specifically Brubaker talk about this, where he he'll go through an outing, or he'll start an outing, he'll kind of realize what he has, he'll realize what he doesn't have. And instead of kind of having the stubbornness where he's like, oh, my force, my fastball is not with me today. I'm going to keep going into the fastball. It's having that ability to adapt what's there and what's not there on any given day. And when you're a starter, that's a little more difficult if you're primarily fastball slider. So going into next year, I'm very curious as to development of that changeup. I'm very curious if maybe there's a curveball in the mix. I'm not saying, you know, this isn't source or anything. This is just me kind of spitballing. But I am very curious as to what his repertoire looks like in the beginning of the season and the end of the season and if he's able to make that evolution. And you know, this isn't to say that if he's primarily, you know, fastball slider, he's not going to be a, you know, a competent major league starter. Um the best pitcher in baseball is primarily a fastball slider guy. Maybe not as extreme. As Luis Ortiz, nobody, I'm really hoping nobody tries to take my words out of context there. But, you know, for, I think for him going forward, you know, the fastball is electric. The slider when it's on can be nasty. He almost had that immaculate inning against the Cubs. I think it was one of his final outings of the year. But going forward, I think if he's going to remain a starter, I think a lot of it might hinge on how that changeup develops, especially when you kind of consider some of the starting depth that the pirates do have at hand already.
2: Yeah. It's going to be exciting to see how they sort of utilize him and utilize all the players they've brought in. It definitely creates a lot of opportunities, a lot of questions as to how Derek Shelton is going to send out his starting lineup every day and utilize his rotation bullpen. But that's still a long time away. Spring training still on the horizon. Uh, but just wrapping things up, Justice, again, thanks so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. It's been too long. Let's try to have you on a little bit sooner again because we love having you on and we love talking to you. So, uh, again, thank you so much. If you want to drop your Twitter for all the Bucks dug out faithful to follow you out if they're not already,
0: that would be fantastic. Yep, appreciate you all for having me. And I'm on Twitter at Just Delos Santos. Uh, Twitter, Elon, didn't think my name was uh, – they thought my name was a little too long, so they had to cut it off a little bit. But that's Just Delos Santos on Twitter. And you know, in addition, I'll plug myself a little bit. In, in addition to, to doing uh, the articles that I do on a daily basis, I also do my post game videos, which are you know just a fun opportunity for me to get in front of the camera for y'all to see my face, um, for you to see just how much I've been hibernating uh, over the course of the past month. And I will plug one more thing: a feature on Henry Davis that dropped last week, I believe, uh, kind of dives into the uh, kind of the inner machinations of Henry Davis and how he kind of came to be. And there's a, a lot of fun little excerpts and stories in there from. his parents from high school coach college coach former teammates uh things like that so y'all haven't given that a read go check that out absolutely nathan before we sign off what's your twitter bro yeah you can follow me on twitter
2: at nathan underscore hirsch all right and you can follow me on twitter underscore radio jake and as nate always says be sure to follow bucks dugout if you're not already again a big thank you to justice for joining us and thanks so much huge thank you to austin bechtel who came on last week in my place here on Talk the Plank, hopefully to have him on a little bit more as the season develops. But until then, Justice, thank you so much. And to everybody listening, uh, we will see you next time here on Talk the Plank.